I'm still trying to pen a book. I, uh, uh, everything I've learned about life, I've learned from The Simpsons. <laughs> nice. Like, and I, I, I don't want to write it though until I become a father because I want to see that's going to be the true test. Yeah. If, I've, yeah. if, if, if fatherhood has has come from The Simpsons, then I could write that book. Um, <laughs> why are you little? I'm not going to strangle my children. Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of the Shameless Picture Show podcast. I am Michael Vyers and with me, as always, is my co-host, who proudly had the nickname Dr. Goodhead in high school. <laughs> Mitch Richards, it's true. It's true. Oh, I always try to find some uh, a different way to introduce you. I have really been enjoying those. <laughs> it's, it's my goal of every week. It's like, how can I find a new way to introduce Nick? Uh, and I've also realized while editing this show, I've got a very specific way I say hello and welcome to. I, I just I, I feel like oh. I could like hit it exactly each time. <laughs> but anyways, today is not about uh, how I say introductions or the fact that your nickname was Dr. Goodhead. <laughs> Today's episode is a tribute show to the late, great Roger Moore. I grew up a huge Bond fan, and while Sean Connery will always be the gold standard for the role, Roger Moore was my James Bond. <clears throat> a kid never forgets their first Bond, just like some kids don't forget their first Doctor, as in Doctor Who, and uh, or you don't forget your, your first musical-like icon. And Sir Roger Moore was mine. His cocky swagger, classic good looks, and his humor is what made me love him so much. To me, he embodied everything I wanted from his, this character. And while some of these traits are present in other interpretations, for my money, he was the best, even if sometimes his movies weren't the best. Roger Moore has a, had a career that expands far beyond the Bond series, but because of this role, he'll never be forgotten. So, thank you for the memories. Well, I always think of you as the, the sort of suave. cravat, yeah. suave, humorous uh, Bond. How do you look back at yourself now in that role? Well, I, I look back as, as Bond really wasn't a spy because everybody knew him. <laughs> okay. Everybody walked in. Oh, 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 Commander Bond, James Bond, ah, oh, 007, ah, oh, Martinez. <laughs> the Bond now is very f physical, you know, he does a lot of physical stuff and, and stunts and, stu and things like that. Did you do any of your own stunts in the films? I did a couple of the love scenes. <laughs> uh, and I believe this is your first Roger Moore Bond outing, right, Nick? It is. Um, <clears throat> I've only seen one other Bond film, and it was uh, Casino Royale, one of the newer ones. Um, so this was my first venture into uh, classic Bond. Oh, also um, another notable death recently that has to tie into Casino Royale was the singer Chris Cornell, who did ah. the theme song for Casino okay. Royale. So you know, we'll, we'll we'll give a shout out to him and his family, and you know. In, the, in their time of need. Indeed. But in tribute to Roger Moore and his addition to the Bond series, this episode will be talking about one of his goofier entries into the franchise, <laughs> Moonraker. Directed by Lewis Gilbert, this was his third and final Bond film, Lewis Gilbert that being, based on a book by Ian Fleming, very loosely. Moonraker is about the MI6 super spy named James Bond investigating the disappearance of an experimental spacecraft aptly named Moonraker. 
While searching, Bond meets Hugo Drax, the man behind the production of Moonraker, and his newest gal pal, Dr. Holly Goodhead. Like any good Bond film, the disappearing spaceship is just is just a step one in a bigger plot to conquer the world. And Bond must travel all around the world to uncover every sinister clue. The film stars Roger Moore, Lois Childs, Michael Lonsdale, and Richard Keel as Jaws. From the most exotic locations on Earth, Moonraker will transport you to another world. spectacular adventure in space, Moonraker. It's out of this world. What exactly are you up to here, Drax? Moonraker 1, liftoff. Moonraker 2, liftoff. Moonraker 3, liftoff. Moonraker 4, liftoff. city in space. James Bond and the treacherous Dr. Goodhead. Despite your efforts, my finely wrought dream approaches its fulfillment. Not the shark. Not yeah, to be confused um, with that classic TV personality. However, I, I, someone dropped the ball that they didn't uh, try to remake uh, the trailer of Jaws starring Richard <laughs> Keel. Like, I just feel like that was a wasted opportunity. <laughs> Come, coming to the Shameless Picture Show <laughs> podcast. I wonder if we could get him. He's still alive, I believe. Yeah. Um, and I think the last movie role he did was Happy Gilmore. Yeah, still coasting on the Gilmore money. Yeah, well, to be fair, he's paralyzed, so he can't move. I did not move. know that. Yeah, he—he, he, uh, I think he was in a massive car accident, so he can't actually walk or stand Ooh. on his own. So okay. in that scene, like you know, where he's standing above everyone else, they have him on propped up on something, and everyone's just kind of like kneeling next to him because he's so. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, he can't walk. So that scene where he's like running, you don't see his legs. 
<laughs> movie magic. Yeah, but you know, he's he's a good sport. Is this your ball? Yes, it is. It struck my foot. Doug! Doug, can I get a drop? Oh, uh, the rule says play it as it lies. That's two thus far, Shooter. Oh, you can count. Good for you. And you can count on me waiting for you in the parking lot. It seems. Right? He came out yeah. to do that movie when he uh, doesn't need to. He's got that Jaws money. <laughs> he played that Moonraker money. He played Jaws twice, 2.5 times. I noticed that. Um... First time he was a little more of an actual assassin, like you know, used to be scary. And this one, he's just kind of funny. But uh, there's a story about that which we will get to uh, okay. a little bit later. But uh, he played it 2.5 times. The point five was in one of the James Bond video games. They used his likeness. I. That's so, right. Yeah, I was cruising IMDb at some point during my watching and noticed I, that. I think it's like everything or everything for nothing or something, which is probably one of the best James Bond games since Goldeneye. But you know. Whatever. <laughs> and your tricks for free. Yeah. So this is a first for both of us. My first time seeing Moonraker. Your first time classic Bond and Roger Moore. We had talked yeah. about possibly doing Cannonball Run because it just seems like it's so goofy Because fun. Burt Reynolds. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think we made a good choice with this one. We could do Cannonball Run anytime, but this is I Moonraker. <laughs> Moonraker. Acre, acre, acre. Acre, acre, acre. Moonraker. Um, so, what do you think of it, Nick? Um, well, as a as a quick aside, I believe this is the first episode where uh, we've analyzed a film that has that was on both of our shameless. Mm, or was there another uh, one? Oh, dead air, dead air. Where's our list of movies we Edit did? This out. <laughs> uh, hold on, let me pull up SoundCloud because that's the easiest way to um, figure out what we have done, and I can just cut out all this dead air. Yeah. Hey, you changed the bat. You changed one of the pictures on there. That's nice. Yeah, I'm gonna up at some point. I'm gonna go back and retroactively update the other one so that the text spacing is correct. Look at you. <laughs> all right. Um, actually, you might be. I really thought we had another one that was on both of our lists. Maybe it's something we've, we planned and we never got to. We've done episodes where, like, we've done more than one thing in a way. Mm. Where I've seen one and you've seen one. You know what? I probably I I thought you hadn't seen Gone with the Wind, so that That's was probably right. that was yep. probably it. And um, all right, yeah. Okay. So You're uh, right. uh, back to your last question. Um, what did I think? Uh, I was, despite having not seen any of the classic Bond stuff, I still knew the reputation of Moonraker. I mean, you read the description and you see the, the promo material, the trailers, and it's like, all right, this is going to be the ridiculous one where they, like, oh, let's make The Last Starfighter, but with Bond. Um, and I, I was pleasantly surprised 
as to how traditional, or, or at least along the stereotypes, because I have little to compare it to, but it seemed like a traditional Bond fi- film still, that is until the last, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> like, it's... I expected yeah. more, like, James Bond in space, um, but it was really James Bond world gallivanting and lady seducing um, with with very thin, like, oh, now I've figured out this clue. Did you, though? Did you figure out that clue? Or did they just kind of retroactively say, okay, now here's the new country that you need to go to to do the same thing? No, I kind, um, I kind of loved that, that it was like... <laughs> There was like a clue for those of us. For those of you listening, you can't see that I'm very. Uh, uh, I'm doing air quotes. I I could hear your air quotes though. <laughs> Thank you. There's a clue in uh, each area of the world, and they were just spread out so specifically. <laughs> and he spends so little time in that place actually tracking down that clue. Once or twice, there's like, okay, I've actually discovered something. And then there's other times where he's just in an area, he gets chased by Jaws, makes out with a chick, and then shows back up at headquarters. It's like, okay, 007, you figured this out, so now you have to go here. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't remember him figuring that out, but maybe yeah. I just wasn't paying attention. But um, I also <laughs> really liked the movie. Um, I will say this. I had a lot of fucking fun with this movie, and I think this would be great yeah. with an audience. If yeah. I could ever rent out a movie, movie theater. <laughs> let me, theater. Let me, theater. I would, uh, I would show Moonraker with a group of people. <laughs> uh, and also, I think Moonraker is one of those – because it's not – and once you see some more classic Bonds, I feel like you might agree. It's not the best made. And that's not even true because it's, re- it's confidently made. It's just not the best – of the Bond classic Bond films because sure. the scripting's a little wonky and I've got some issues with it. And so it's not like one of you know, his best adventures, not one of his best outings, but boy, is it stupidly fun. Yes. Um, so I feel like this this is a Bond film that I would pull off the shelf more often. Or, um, But like if I wanted to show someone who's never seen a James Bond film, it's like, oh, I want to know what the Bond series is all about. This might not be the one I would pull. Yes, it's got all the tropes, and it's got, you know, it's it's everything you need to know about Bond, but, like, I would start with, like, Goldfinger, Dr. No, or even one Casino Royale. iconic. Yeah, because Casino Royale did a good job of feeling classic, yet contemporary. Okay. Um, but, no, that being said, I thought it was great. Again, the, the stereotype, like, I, I expected the movie to open with some crazy intense chase scene which they all from what i can tell seem to and by the end of that skydiving sequence with jaws i i was thinking to myself while the james bond stuff isn't necessarily for me like i i have enjoyed both of the both of the james bond films that i've seen but at no point during either of those did i oh i have to go back and watch them all but by the end of that skydiving sequence, I thought to myself, I get it. I, and plus, I can, I can okay. see how much fun this is for for the right group of people. Yeah, and, like, that was a great... That, just that skydiving sequence in general, because, like, I thought it was really well done. And it was super well shot. I don't know. Like, yeah. I was like, ooh, skydiving. I, I still, I, I've thought about it several times since watching it, wondering, 
uh, which of the shots were practical versus which shots were special effects. There were one or two where you could tell that they were shot in front of a screen. Yeah. Um, but kudos to the to the crew for for those uh, great shots. And no, really exactly. They they had a skydive photographer, not photographer, uh, cinematographer. So like they they did that. Right. Which is pretty great. Um, all right. I've got such random notes. <laughs> uh, I feel, I, I don't know where to begin, but I feel like the most logical <coughs> one is my very first note. Uh, debt theme song. Uh, uh, the Moonraker theme oh. song. you get one of those great bond tropes is you have it's it starts out with the shot of him and the talk spinning in towards the you know down the barrel oh my the god they, yeah and then like just the way they shoot like these crazy like title sequences yeah they're all great they're all worth the price of admission right there alone. right like i've not the, seen one of those that i've hated and then um it's 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 a double trope this time because not only is it a very classy spy-oriented theme song, but two, it's Shirley Bassey who's recorded a couple of their themes, uh, most notably "Goldfinger" and "Diamonds Are Forever," which Kanye West later on sampled for his uh, "Diamonds of Sierra Madre" track, which is okay, uh, a dope song. Um, but however, I don't think they know what Moonraker is in this song. If you go and listen, and I, I'm wondering if they wrote the track before the script before the script was finished, or if they didn't even get they just didn't bother sending it to them. They didn't let Shirley Bassey like even see the movie because from what I read, like they had tried to get Frank Sinatra and a couple other people to come in and record, and they recorded a version of a song with someone else, but it didn't pan out. So like Shirley Bassey had like a week before the film was going to come out to come and do this track. <laughs> But let me read you a couple lyrics, <clears throat> and you can see what I mean. That I don't think they know what Moonraker is. Where are you? Where do you hide? Where is that moonlight trail that leads to your side? Just like the Moonraker goes in search of his dreams of gold, I search for love, for someone to have and hold. So they think Moonraker's a person. <laughs> or, or is it just such a deep metaphor no, no, I think they just think it's a person. 
uh, songwriters Hal David and John Barry. Come on, guys. What did you think Moonraker was? <laughs> like the same thing with like when Adele did Skyfall. If you listen to the lyrics, it's like the, what the way she sings about Skyfall is not at all like what it actually is in the movie. <laughs> and um, the Moonraker theme uh, sounded suspiciously <clears throat> like. Uh, Moon River. Yeah. Moon River. <laughs> I, I, I never thought about that, but I was throughout the whole movie I was sending Moon River to myself because of I, I also love that during the credits they had a disco version of the Moonraker theme. <laughs> like you do, because you just yeah, you need a disco course. theme of that. Um so that's my first note. Like I don't really know how to like go about this. I, I've kinda got an idea of where to start, but I was gonna kinda see where how you wanted to go about this. I, I have a lot of thoughts on the film, but I have a feeling that if we start anywhere but with the ending, that I'm going to be distracted because I'm thinking about the ending. Then should we should we start with the ending and talk I wanna about... I want to get that out of the way, and then we can go back. All right, I have an idea of how to begin this, but I'm going to go with... You've you you, you you've got this pent-up thing where you need to talk about it, so what do you want to talk about the ending, Nick? So so you have the Bond film, the hour, 15, hour and a half long yeah. Bond film, and then you have a weird short film tacked on at the end where yes. astronauts have a laser battle um, in what, what they claim to be zero gravity, even though everyone's hair is laying down as they slow motion walk around the however i did read this is this is one of the this it had the most zero gravity wires of any other movie ever it it doesn't show no um i was saying to amanda it's like would you really move that slow in zero gravity i feel like i've seen astronauts who are who are moving at normal speed or at least a little bit faster than that um i guess my my um before I talk about, like, this movie's obvious influence is making babies. That's the fucking plot for this movie is they want to make babies. <laughs> like, I, I'm but, really truncating this plot a little bit, but... But in, like, a Nazi kind of way. <laughs> well, it, um, Hugo Drax in the book was a Nazi, so I guess that kind of works. Okay, there you go. <laughs> but, yeah, there's definitely the the subtext of, you know... The, the pure race stuff that and while we're on the subject it's asked in the film i believe by bond maybe by uh uh dr goodhead um why they even bothered creating a moonraker for the the government in the first place and the answer in no way satisfied me because once the the evil plan got unveiled that was my first question too like you have all the money if you really want to do that oh we had to test one first so test one don't give it to the government like see that's not at all like i what i thought happened because like i thought i misunderstood because i was like man did that just really happen because like when they're talking about like when he's talking about like why you stole moonraker back is because he had lent it to the government and he was like why didn't you just ask for it back <laughs> like maybe or, i misunderstood that but it really just made it sound like oh i lent it to them and i realized i needed it so i stole and, it and if you're trying to 
essentially kill most everyone on the planet with the exception of a small hand like what why would you expose yourself to that level of like 007 would have never gotten involved if the ship hadn't gotten stolen from the but he never had to give Moonraker to the government in the first place he could have just built a spaceship or two on his own in his facility, sent it up, had the satellite, poison everybody with the flowers, and bingo, bingo, he would have won. Yeah, I, it's almost like were they intentionally trying to invite Bond? Um, right. Uh, because there's actually a, a quote that makes me laugh. You appear with the tedious inevitability of an unloved season. I didn't think there were any seasons in space. As far as you're concerned, only winter and the treacherous Dr. Goodhead. Uh, and then later on, he says, uh, Mr. Bond, you defy all my attempts to plan an amusing death for you. <laughs> and how many times did he have to catch him on the space station? Like, he catches him, he escapes. He catches him again, he escapes. He catches him again. Like, when, when I saw Austin Powers and, <laughs> and you see them making fun of this, you know, evil villain catching the hero and not killing him right away. You think that they're taking a certain amount of li license. No, they are not. But it's really that bad. <laughs> like, and, and this happens in some of the older Bond films. Like, to an extent, this happens in um, Goldfinger. But they treat it, they, they handle it handle it better like the villain like you can tell like he's obviously annoyed but like he's saving fa i don't know i just feel like they handled it differently and in this They're one it just I'm, I'm, i come to the conclusion that hugo drax sucks at being a villain yeah i just, just feel a like terrible terrible villain. i just feel like he just decided one day i've got this money i'm going to become a super villain and he, he just doesn't know what to do and he's just doing what? things because he just that's what i have to do i've I saw a couple of Bond films. It looked interesting to me. I thought I'd get into the game. However, he's got an amazing team because they're able to clear out an entire laboratory from a room with no trace. I would love to see in that large facility he had the, the area dedicated to making the uniforms for all of his henchmen. <laughs> because a lot of thought was put into those like mini skirt shoulder paddy gold trimmed things and uh i also believe that not one female in the entire cast was wearing a bra probably Pretty not sure. most of this movie not that, not that that's a problem no. that's great if you want to i free ball it every once in a while it's um i'm also you just think percentage wise one of them would be yeah i also i was super amused like i was i was i i uh i don't usually question this but then when i saw how many henchmen and people had working for him it's like how do you hire the, the people like right. this like do, does someone just apply for this job or like do you think they have 401ks yeah like honey i'm gonna go work for a super villain today i'll be home for dinner oh he's launching <laughs> me into space like how do you get that many people? And it's not like you can put a Craigslist ad out because Craigslist didn't exist then. It's like, or is great, there like great benefits, opportunity to travel, or is there like a network? Like, is there like yeah. an uh, underground network of like you come to me if you want help? But then a lot of, you have to have scientists. I can't imagine there's right. this many scientists in the world working. 
let alone evil scientists or or morally neutral, morally flexible scientists. Yeah. Um, however, there is a great line said by Dr. Goodhead about Hugo Drax. What he doesn't own, he doesn't want. Well, duh. <laughs> That's such a dumb line. <laughs> That's just dumb. I, I said that out loud. I was like, That's dumb. <laughs> You're terrible, and you should feel bad. Uh, but talking about the ending of this film, you uh, you can't talk about the ending without mentioning the fact that Star Wars, am I right? <laughs> like, but, Star Wars is 77. But a not good version. Um, like, there, there are not good versions of Star Wars that are, that are good. For- this one was just tacked on in such a weird way funny thing is it's like you'd you'd watch this movie it's like oh i get it it's a cheaper version of star wars this movie had so much more money than star wars did (laughs) um but no that's exactly what happened because uh for your eyes only was supposed to be the next bond uh after the spy that loved me uh but moonraker was chosen out of ian fleming's novels because of the star wars popularity sure um they're like well shit Kids like this spacey shit. <clears throat> what's uh, what's uh, what's put, what's put Bond in space? And no one said no. And Ian Fleming originally had a script written for this because he wanted to make it. But um, it's 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 worth noting that the novel for Moonraker has nothing to do with space. <laughs> okay. Let 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 me read to you, um, kind of what it's about. It's about the premise of uh is that uh, uh, Hugo Drax, he builds a the Moonraker, which is a prototype missile designed to defend England. Unknown to Bond, Drax is a German, an ex-Nazi working for the Soviets, and is planned to build the rocket, armed with a nuclear warhead, and fire it at London. Well, this That plot later on became the story for um, The World Is Not Enough. Oh, okay. Or, oh, sorry, I'm sorry, Die Another Day. Die Another Day, okay. which is like the last Pierce Brosnan one of the film. Pierce, yeah. Uh, which is one I liked a lot when I first saw it, I, I, but I can't comment on how good it is. But um, that's more of a true adaptation of Moonraker, more <laughs> so than Moonraker is. Uh, also worth noting that this is the last Bond novel to be adapted until Casino Royale. But, uh, oh, essentially they're like, well, shit, this, mm-hmm, this, uh, this Star Wars stuff is uh, so popular. Let's, uh, let's put Bond in space. But only what report. happens when big... Big studio producers make artistic decisions. Yeah. And like it's it's annoying that they had so much more money than Star Wars and it looks cheap. But for some reason this movie was nominated for an Academy Award for for effects. <laughs> <laughs> There's also the highest Yeah, isn't that funny? Like they, they're nominated for an Academy Award for special effects. And you That's look amazing. at it and like how? Uh, and it was also the highest grossing Bond film ever until Goldeneye. Wow. Uh, but, like, it's so funny because it, it wears its references on its sleeve. Like, there's a shot that's, like, I, I pulled up a screenshot from 2001 A Space Odyssey. He's like, Amanda, this shot's taken directly from that movie. <laughs> and she's like, oh, shit, it really is because she's never seen yeah. it. And then, like, like it's the, the sounds the lasers make. Like, when, Q, when when Bond was walking through Q Branch and they're working on those, like, laser guns, Amanda's like, okay, Star Wars. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. <laughs> uh, I just, yeah, it, just, yeah. it just feels like it was made by a bunch of people who don't really get this spacey shit. Yeah, or Bond's, well, I, 
the the tail end of it people that don't understand the bond stuff yeah the the again the first two thirds of it even three quarters of it was felt normal bond and oh um i i just had a flash memory of the um the fight with the the samurai henchman in the <laughs> in the vase oh yeah room where they have that again like this whole scene of James Bond sneaking around while a tour guide explains how expensive all of these vases are and then they have the literal bowl in a china shop scene <laughs> he, he goes away they have a few more scenes where he's actually trying to figure things out comes back into that where and you know they have that really expensive one right in the middle and you're just, oh yeah okay that's gonna get knocked over okay However, that's there's a great over. comedic part where like it's broken and he puts it and he sets it back down and it turns <laughs> it turns the sensor off like that just made yeah. me laugh way more than it should have which kudos to the uh some of my comments have made it seem like i i don't like this film and that's not true <laughs> I don't respect this film. <laughs> That's fair. That's but fair. But I love the film, and I'm so glad it got made, and I'm so glad it got made the way that it got made. Because um, if this didn't exist, then I wouldn't have all of this joy inside of me right now. Um, I, I, if I could re-edit the film, and I feel like it would make the movie a lot easier for people to swallow, I would uh, I would just always just, whenever Bond's just looking at, hearing, listening to someone talk, I would have the person's dialogue just kind of slowly drone out, <laughs> and you would just hear Roger Moore going, I don't really understand this. I'm drunk. <laughs> because, like, his reactions half the time just seems like he's drunk and he's just kind of falling into, and, like, he's just getting lucky. They're just falling into his lap. Yeah, he's, it's, it's almost too easy for him. Like, you, you watch some of the older ones, like, it's like some of the Sean Connor, you actually feel like he's working for it. <laughs> I'm now imagining, like, a geriatric James Bond sitting around, like, really questioning his life because everything came so easy to him earlier and what's it all mean <laughs> uh it's all uh it's also worth mentioning this film has like every bond trope ever created right which again as as an intro to bond i actually kind of appreciate it. it's like yep okay there's the thing that the gadgets okay yeah there's the New gadgets tangent. oh continue the the gadgets um <laughs> the first one they introduced is that little wristwatch dart gun great 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 bond toy that he can use to secretly shoot darts at people awesome but they very specifically pointed out that he had five of each dart right five i think explosion darts and five crazy purple knockout darts except they were blue um typically when you in in a film when you point out the number of something there's a reason for it yeah except here he only fired like three of the darts throughout the entire film okay fine i'll give you a pass why but then also it got it it just drew attention to it in a way that's like all right you have all of this money at your disposal why not give him 500 of each dart like they, it, it was like shown well, like all right here's what you've got to work with five of each dart i've got two answers for that one that's a serious one that's might be a true answer and one <laughs> that is more than likely wrong but it might change your perception on it okay. one the one that i think is actually true 
is in one of the earlier Bond films, they make reference to that almost everything that Q Branch makes is a prototype. So, they probably don't have 500 darts. That's what half the time there's always a line in his movie in these movies about whenever Q gives Bond some sort of vehicle too, they're like, "Please bring this one back in one piece, Bond." And he smiles Which and walks away because it's they a prototype. said about the boat. Yeah, it's a prototype. That... It's the only one they have. But they made ten of them. Why couldn't they make twenty? Well, because they. Probably... Why couldn't they make fifty? Maybe if he would have, if this mission would have came a week later, they would have had fifty. <laughs> they had to give him what he what he what he needed, and I also wonder about that, like. Because there's that scene where like uh, he has to stop the uh, the gear the zero or the zero G thing. Well, you know what I'm talking about the oh, spinny he, thing. And, the first time that he and he shoots it, yeah. it, and I was like, oh, that's a great way to get out of that. Did they devise that sequence for the gadget they knew they wanted to have, or did they retroactively add the gadget knowing that they couldn't get him out of that sequence? Right. Um, also, I can't imagine that shooting a dart at the display screen would have shut down the machine. I don't think these people understand technology. Yeah, which, again, I'm criticizing the logic of the film. I'm not telling them that they should have done anything different because that's part of what made it great. Yeah, and then my my reasoning for why they might have mentioned the fact that he had five of each dart but only used three, and this is a stretch, but it kind of makes sense, is a Hitchcockian rule of suspense. Hitchcock. When's he gonna use the fourth? Fifth, yeah, sixth, Hitchcock seventh, eighth, once said, you know, you you have two characters sitting around a table talking about baseball or whatever, and then uh, the camera pans down and shows there's a bomb under the table. It's gonna add suspense because now everything they're saying, no matter how mundane, is now more important. And the trick to suspense is never to have the bomb go off. Right. So he's got five. You're wondering, oh shit, is he gonna need these five? And the answer is no. But that could also be me talking out of my ass. <laughs> I, I, I think that's a really powerful observation that I would be hard-pressed to believe was intentional <laughs> in any way in this particular film. I don't know. I kind of sold it well, though. <laughs> you did. I was I, For a second there, I'm like, wait a minute. Is Moonraker actually brilliant? And I just wasn't smart enough to keep up. <laughs> However, Hitchcock, uh, wow, he thought most of the Bond films were trash. Yeah. Um, he had a soft spot in his heart for uh, a couple of scenes in GoldenEye. Not GoldenEye, sorry. He was dead by then. Goldfinger, <laughs> which he actually turned to the director and says, I don't like this movie, but I wish I would have stolen that scene. <laughs> so I was like, well, that means you liked the movie, Alfie. <laughs> or Hitch. Did... No... <laughs> All right, maybe. <laughs> Leave me alone. I love that man. Uh, <laughs> now, most of my notes from this point on are a lot of like observations. Uh, so I figured I would start like just kind of rolling through some of those and uh, see where this conversation takes us. Sure. Um, like I said, this movie has every Bond trope ever, and that's everything from, like, you know, shaken, not stirred. Uh, it has the, you know, the, uh, the kind of, the pretty strong heroine. They got, like, the icy brunettes and, you know, gadgets galore, chase sequences, world, tra- uh, like, traveling the world. Um, I know I made note and getting in probably because the film is British, but I love that it was most they had a thing that says most secret 
It's that top secret. And I was like, that's, I so, that. that's so English. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, that's goofy. And I realized, wait, that actually makes more sense than top secret. What the fuck is top secret? Right. It's What if you create something more secret than top secret? Then you've got a problem. Yeah, and then it's most secret. <laughs> most seems you can uh, something you can adjust. You can't you can't raise the top of a mountain, but if something more secret comes along, that becomes the most secret. Yeah, I guess that that's fair. Um, I just want to talk about Jaws. And the, can we talk about the love story? <laughs> yes, that's part of it. You can't talk about Jaws without talking about that love story. <laughs> I would like to start off this particular conversation with what? <laughs> yes, because it's so out of nowhere. It just seems like it's, it's shoehorned in. I, shoehorned in in the beginning, but I was impressed with how it paid off in the end. Yeah. Like, I was surprised that it paid off because it seemed so shoehorned in and then kind of disappeared for a little while. Um, and it, it was shoehorned in because apparently they got a lot of letters from when the first movie that Jaws was in that the kids loved him and they're like, you should make him into a good guy. So they did. <laughs> but he he played the perfect foil to the whole concept that the evil villain was trying to, you know, create this new perfect race that and then Bond was playing. Well, boy, Jaws, you don't really fit into that. You and your your new wife don't really fit into that, do you? Jaws conflicted. (laughs) What do I do? And then, like, there was a missed opportunity, because I really thought, like, when Jaws was trapped underneath the the wreckage of the monorail. The monorail? Monorail. 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 (laughs) I don't think it was actually a monorail, but that sounded good. Uh, (laughs) I've sold monorails to North Haverbrook. I've sold monorails to Brockway, Ogdenville, and North Haverbrook, and by gum it put them on the map. Um, uh, when when the little the little girl, I I don't I don't know if she has a name. I just call her a little girl, even though she wasn't yeah. actually a child. She's just tiny. Uh, and next to Jaws, she's the yeah, little she woman. Very short. She came up and you know moved that wreckage. It's like oh, she's really strong. Oh, she's not talking. And I was really hoping that she was going to smile and she was going to have braces on. And they didn't go with that. I thought, like, that would have been like, oh, she's going to see me for me because she's also a brace face. <laughs> and they didn't go with the that. The music swells and they lean in for the kiss. I really Their thought that teeth was, walk up. I really thought that was going to be the end of Jaws because they walked off essentially into the sunset together. And then he popped up two more times. Okay, Jaws seemingly was destroyed at the end of every sequence, and then James Bond would go to some other country where Jaws already was. It's because he's made of metal, I assume. So... Wolverine versus Jaws. Yeah, but he always seemed to know right where James Bond was going to be. Hugo Drax hired him, so he probably was like, I've got got important information at this area. Be there. (laughs) And... And it's going to be discovered in this particular order. <laughs> However, I'm not going to lie. It gave me slight chills a little bit, like, when they're in Rio, and, like, the Jaws is in that, that large costume oh, walking down. that clown And the fact that it was all done in a wide shot, and you just saw him... Co- it's like, yep. it, it kind of made the hairs on my arm stand up. It's like, that's kind of creepy. That was a well-shot sequence. Yeah, and, <laughs> as, a, on a, as a whole, this entire movie was really well-shot. Uh, yep. Jean Tenier, uh Tournier. I'm not. I'm not very good at French, but he shot it. And I looked up his filmography, and it seems like he did a lot of like French art house cinema. 
and it okay. kind of shows. Like, there's that scene. We'll go back to Jaws in a second, where like, um, the dogs are chasing that woman through the the woods, and just the way yeah. it was shot was like really engaging. Even though the dogs were looked very playful. I was real again with the dogs and. <laughs> I was also surprised that they introduced that character, killed her off with dogs. I was waiting for James Bond to show up and, like, crazy knockout dart the dogs. But, like, <laughs> nope, she just died and then was never mentioned I, again. I know. It's it's really dark. Especially because, like, th- there have been characters that have died in Bond films before, but it's always like, you have betrayed me, and, like, a door closes, and that's alluded to it. They're killed. This woman was torn apart by dogs. Yeah. And it it didn't... Like, even you you could make an argument that it is going to develop Hugo's character that he dispatched somebody. And, but it the way that it was put together, it didn't even really seem to do that. It could have cut back to him to go, yes, I, I succeeded in having this girl dispatched. But, like, it didn't. So it it really seemed to do nothing other than... Like, okay, just so you know, audience, you're not going to hear from her again. Yeah, it was really It was strange. more of a hand wave, a beautifully shot hand wave. Yeah, like, I was watching it. I was like, man, this is, and especially because this, this was, the, I believe, the first Bond film in, like, widescreen like that. Okay. Um, You know, at least this wide. This, is, this looks like they're shooting on, like, anamorphic widescreen lenses because the edges of the frame were slightly rounded. And got some vignetting. It was beautiful. Um. We're going back, I guess, let's finish up our little Jaws conversation yeah. where it's like, uh, in the end, Jaws helps Bond out. And he kind of goes, I like the way that they eventually got rid of Jaws, where it's like, you know, he bites open the thing of champagne and him and his, his little lover, they share a drink before their time it, is over. They'll it's the, the co- old couple on the Titanic hugging down the bed. Yes. Yeah. Realistically, I feel like Bond could have waited a little bit and saved them he could have <laughs> he knew he could have uh i'm like, i'm hoping that uh, since jaws is apparently can't die that he's just floating in space somewhere <laughs> waiting in in an eternal dance <laughs> with his lover oh that's actually kind of sad oh, yeah it's kind of the s- corpse of his lover because she probably doesn't have that same michael myers power probably <laughs> makes it makes it still pretty fucking sad. Um, but no, what did you think of Jaws? Because this is your first experience with him. Yeah, I mean, it, it. My first reaction was certainly that of the okay, we've hit another great Bond trope of the <laughs> of the kooky, surreal uh, Bond villain. Yeah, you know the the altered. Uh, superhuman to some degree um so that yeah like every time one of those tropes popped up i was like oh yeah cool there's that yeah and there's with, that thing without, that i only know from austin powers you know, exactly like it's crazy <laughs> like you know you, like i said like you said earlier you'd imagine that austin powers is taking some of these tropes and running with them and then you see moonraker and you and realize like, are they there's there's sequences that feels like austin powers took directly like there's stuff in that space battle you're like oh austin powers 2 just lifted this and doesn't <laughs> even have to make fun of it because it's it's it, it was a parody of itself right 
Moonraker was parodying uh, James Bond long before Austin Powers was. And it's kind of remarkable. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> I, I think that the, the fundamental difference is that I um, played Bond and, and in this one as well with uh, the reality, uh, credibility, and hopefully still encompassing stunts and effects and what have you, but and out of it some indigenous humor. And anything that happens is possible. And I feel that um, Roger, which I think he may have inherited in part from after Diamonds Are Forever, where they were already getting into that area of too much hardware, um, that that was more important. And his is a sort of parody of the character, as it were, in that situation, so that you will go for the laugh or the humor at whatever the cost of the credibility or the reality. I think that's just basically the difference. And um, it's, it's, I, I think he t took another direction with it that way and acquired uh, an entirely different uh, audience. So that was my first reaction to St. Jaws. Um, I, the, the fact that he kept popping up over and over again even after he fell off a waterfall or got exploded or whatever the hell happened to him time and time again was one of those moments where I thought again like made me remember that in general these films aren't necessarily for me but I can see why they're so fun oh there's Jaws again yep. popping up to but kind of out of context um, like I, I'm okay with something like that as long as it's properly supported in the film and because it wasn't it, it made it both problematic, but also a lot of fun. I'm also wondering if they added Jaws because they, they're like, if we don't have Jaws, Bond's not doing anything in these fucking scenes. <laughs> like, they had, and, they had the, the really awkward samurai fight and uh, the, the, the gondola hovercraft. <laughs> I can't even yeah. say that without, without cracking and, a smile. <laughs> uh, so many... Like forced. Oh, what? Here, Bond. Why don't you get into this uh, big thing that's gonna spin you around? And most people pass out here, but we'll just dial you in it too. Oh, I'm sure. I, like, yep. I let's, let's make sure those straps are really tight. I honestly feel like Goodhead put him in that thing intentionally because James Bond would not stop mansplaining shit to her. <laughs> Hashtag feminism. <laughs> like that's the only thing i kept thinking of and she just kept rolling her eyes like she's a doctor dude she she probably yeah. knows this shit better than you do which and anytime she'd explain something to him he'd get super annoyed it was really funny <laughs> granted there there was certainly um an, an, no i wasn't alive now so i'm speaking just on my understanding but there there's this influx of of a feminist movement in the 60s and 70s so it made sense however i found that all of that element the fact that she has this overly sexualized bond name but then she is also this strong and from what i've read one of the more strong female holly goodhead phd um, count counterparts that i was impressed with how well that played today like, it doesn't mm -hmm. seem antiquated or, oh, well, that's the 70s idea of film feminism. Like, that part of it, I thought, still played she, really well. She held her own against Bond, and I also like that 
Um, I guess in a, in, a, in her own way, she's playing hard to get. Like, you know, as soon as she pops on the screen that they're going to end up sleeping together. But, right. like, she wasn't automatically, like, charmed it, by him. It it felt like it was on her terms. Yeah. Which is the important part of that. She says when. Yeah. Um, so back to Jaws. Um, then the final bit of that. So so there's the the joy I felt just saying the trope. There's the the middle part where it kind of took me out of it because he kept popping up over and over again for no reason. Um, and then the final bit was when the love story thing happened at the end and paid off. And I was both pleasantly surprised that he had such a such an arc to his story. But also it added to the silliness of that final sequence. Yes. Um, so that that's my take on Jaws. All right. But Great name. I, I, I like Jaws, and it's just because he is, like, one of those cool... Like, he's one of those iconic James Bond villains. Like, if they, if they had a James Bond series of pop vinyls, Jaws would have his own. Totally. He it, he felt like a, like a Masters of the Universe action figure. I could see it. You know? Um, one thing I wanted to comment on, like, at the beginning of the film, they apparently they supposedly go to California, and okay. this film feels feels very French, because a lot of it was <laughs> shot in France, they're like, his his French villa in California, <laughs> and then, like, that guy who's sitting in the tree, who's, about to, who's gonna shoot Bond. Oh, yeah. He, he like, you he, missed. he looks like a... Po- Did I? <laughs> I love that sequence, too. Uh, he just looks like a, like a poor Frenchman. Like the way he's dressed and everything else, right. and I was like, "Oh, this is." But don't forget, this is California. <laughs> uh, a lot of tweed for California. Yeah, uh, but no, that skeet shooting scene was pretty great. It's like you honestly <laughs> thought you were gonna take Bond out that easily while you're skeet shooting. And, and he was holding the gun. It's he's surrounded by his own henchmen. Why didn't he just shoot him? Like I have a gun in my room. We could go shoot him right now <laughs> together. Right. That's I kept thinking of that scene too. Oh, uh, like why you could have taken care of him. No one on your payroll is gonna is gonna snitch. If, if they're not worried about poisoning ninety nine point nine nine percent of the earth, like they're not gonna be like, oh, you shot that guy. That wasn't cool, man. So can, I'm just gonna like, hi, I'm I'm Nick from accounting. I'm just gonna say right now that I I don't agree with that. And then he shoots him too. Like that's yeah. one thing I have to say. I love about uh, Captain Hook from Peter Pan was that there's that guy that pirate who's singing. Captain Hook just gets so fucking annoyed and pulls out his gun and shoots him. Now let me see. Where was I? Oh, dear, 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 Captain Hook. Shooting a man in the middle of his cadenza? <laughs> it ain't good form, you know. Good form, Mr. Smee. He is he is more of a villain than Hugo Drax is. Yeah. Well, and uh, if, to expand on that tangent, there's kind of the, the Batman-Joker relationship with uh, Captain Hook and Peter Pan where they almost need each other. Yeah. So, so Captain Hook is never going to kill Peter Pan. 
because the the relationship is what keeps him going. Yeah. He wakes up every morning thinking about Peter Pan. And if he doesn't have that, then what would he do and, on Thursday? And Bond doesn't have that. Actually, I was I wanted to write a uh, a short film at one point uh, called Whatever Happened to James Bond, and it, it was going to be about like and or I might have changed the title so it wasn't James Bond, so I can get away with it. But essentially, right. it was going to be a supervillain's funeral. No, sorry, not super. It was going to be James Bond's funeral, and all of his supervillains are sitting around talking about what it was like working with him and then like i was gonna have like a hugo drax type character go i don't think he even knew my name <laughs> i i really don't think he knew what was going on half the time but, like how he just completely hurt by this that like right yeah and like i worked so hard at being a super villain and never, never barely and got it was gonna be attention. all these people just lamenting about their time with bond amazing <laughs> i was i i really enjoyed um dr horrible's sing-along blog i've never seen, seen it no Okay, shameless episode coming up soon. <laughs> okay. Um, because it's this surprisingly beautiful origin story of a villain. Okay. It's it's only like 45 minutes long, um, so it's it's easy to knock out. Um, the the music's great. It's really funny. But then by the time Neil you Patrick hit the Harris end... Patrick is in it, right? Yes, okay. he plays Dr. Horrible, a, a wannabe supervillain who is recording a blog of his papers. <laughs> that sounds adorable uh, anyways. I, I think we've picked our next episode because that I'd, I'd really love to talk about that film. Okay. Um, it's, so it's a film? It's not like a... I thought it was a web series. Uh, it was written during the writer's strike. Mm. Uh, the old one, um, not the more recent one that was just... A, uh, avoided successfully um so i believe it was released in three parts okay so it's series, easy to find yes uh, i believe it's still on netflix okay but I, i'll check it it's out. been a while since i've looked it up um but it i've seen it in its assembled form of a 45 minute uh mini narrative okay um but it, it reminded me of what you were saying about how uh, the you always hear a, the story as told from the the hero who's saving the day, but there are other interesting stories in there that if you told it from a different perspective, you can have a lot of fun with. Yeah. All right, I'm down with that. Cool. Um. One one of the notes I had, and 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 it became painfully obvious after a while. And I mean, Amanda were both commenting on it. The lack of music or makes scene some scenes hella awkward. <laughs> like there, like during that fight sequence, like with him and and the uh, uh, samurai ninja guy, there was no like score to accompany any of it to make it like more intense or to like add suspense it was just like a lot of like breathing and the sound of bad punches eventually like they had this they had the they had diegetic sound of uh the band outside the the church playing i was like oh that works kind of well but like there's a scene later on like um when bond and uh i think dr goodhead are on that mountain and they're waiting to be rescued and like those paramedics come up and then yeah. they hit him over the head with that thing. No music accompaniment, so it's just super awkward. Like, there's so many times I was like, I think a little score in this scene would have seriously helped it. 
I also, I loved how at the end of that sequence where they're being taken away in the ambulance, like James Bond rolls out, brushes himself off, stands up, but the doctor is still in the back of the ambulance driving away and he doesn't seem the least bit concerned about it. He's like, all right, well, that was fun. And then he he sees her again later. He's like, oh, I see you made it. Great, let's team up again. There was like... Yeah, no concern whatsoever as she's driven away by the pandemic. James Bond is a huge narcissist. He's he doesn't care. Like, uh, if you want, like, honestly, you've seen the TV show Archer. Yeah, the way that Archer talks about himself is what I imagine is James Bond's constant inner monologue. Totally. Like, I feel like that's uh. how he sees himself. But since he's a cl- he's an English gentleman, he won't say any of it. Archer is the way he is because he's American. That would be uncouth. <laughs> Do you want AIDS? That's how you get AIDS. <laughs> um, I, I'm like, yeah, I, d- I feel like I got, a, I feel like I got a lot of things in my mind I want to say about Moonraker. I just can't like call it forth at the moment because like this is such a goofy movie. <laughs> yeah, and I, I didn't particularly notice the lack of store in places but i only because i didn't happen to observe it but i definitely felt the symptom of that that you were describing where a lot of these scenes felt hella awkward like it he he shows up in a place has a a surprise again for for those hopefully i put the right air quote emphasis on it um surprise battle with a villain uh maybe finds a clue that drives the plot forward maybe not maybe they just jump to the next scene having not made any purpose to it that happened more than once um and it just it felt weird the the pacing of the film and yeah um and like i said it's it's a shame that there's these pacing issues because every so often there would be some really great moments like the the scene on top of the cable car was was really well done and like yeah, yeah well you could definitely see when they cut from a rear screen shot to like actually on location the fact that they shot any of that on location is 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 awesome you gotta you gotta hand it to the crew for pulling stuff like that off and uh like as cheesy as some of the space stuff was, especially like when they're flying away on jetpacks and it looks like they're just standing <laughs> on something, but they're just moving the character around the, the screen. All, all of them coming out of the spaceship, like... Yeah, like spores. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and then... But, like, there's still some well-made stuff in this film. I just feel like yeah. it was saddled with a bad script. Like, at one point, Tom Mankiewicz who wrote Citizen Kane, he did a draft of this fucking script at one point. Really? Yeah, I would love to have seen his version of this script. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> like, it would have had James Bond dying in a bed as he dropped... Um, is he, is he, yeah, that's what I was getting at. <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't mean to jump. I couldn't think of like what he would have dropped. It wouldn't have been a snow globe. He would have dropped his his, his PP7 gun. Uh, yeah, or, or a tiny model of a... Of a spaceship. Yep, and that's how it goes into Moonraker. Oh my god, it is Moon River. (laughs) (laughs) Oh let's let's take well, she did only have a week. Maybe she took Moon River and just crossed out River and wrote it in Raker. She wouldn't have even had to have crossed out all of River. She could have just crossed out Iver. (laughs) 
and put Acre. And for the, she only had to change two letters. Yeah. IV into AK. <laughs> we cracked the we code. We cracked it. We figured, we figured out the secret of Moonraker. Ep- episode done. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we can't. We, this episode can't be done until we talk about the animal's reactions to his dumb land boat gondola thing. <laughs> The fact that a, a pigeon did a double take. <laughs> and, the, and the great, like, the painter who who bends down to get some more paint and goes up and then his easel is gone. The, and then the, and the guy drinking who's like, he puts down his alcohol. is like, uh-uh, no more of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't look cool driving a gondola aircraft hoverboat thing. And he tries so hard to look cool in that thing. He really does. Roger Moore can do many things, but looking good in a land-based uh, gondola, roller gondola, yeah. not, not possible. But like, I was watching the sequence. It's like, when did this become a comedy? Really odd inflections of comedy in places. And again, there there are ways to do that successfully. This wasn't that. No, like, <laughs> you know, a dry sense of humor is what Bond needs. There's times this movie was downright slapstick. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's such a weird decision. You you add in the Benny Hill theme song and you're you're done. Like, unless they're trying to get more kids in because, like, um, you know, Goldfinger, I keep harping on that one because it's my favorite of the Bond uh, franchise. Mm-hmm. Goldfinger and then the man with the golden gun. I got to think for gold. Gold. You love gold. <laughs> um, you know, those didn't seem super kid-friendly, but kids went to go see them, so maybe they're trying to, like, get that audience, or I, I don't know what their decisions were. Yeah. But then at the t- same time, if you're trying to bring in the kid audience, then you have the scene of the girl being, like, chased down by the dogs in a way kids that... Kids like dogs? Like, kid, kids love dogs. It's a puppy. Look. Hey, look at how happy oh, he is. just wants to play. Yeah. <laughs> He's just going to lick her face. Uh, maybe there's a reason that this was Lewis Gilbert's last entry into the Bond franchise. It's like, yeah, I, I think I have made the perfect Bond film, and I don't want to undo that by making another one. That's what you mean, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, this is the highest grossing Bond film of all time. Fuck off. <laughs> and he goes and counts and like I had to look it up it's like was this Roger Moore's last Bond film too and no he went on but if like if this would have been his last Bond film I would have been like I get it <laughs> I understand Roger Moore but he continued on uh, oh um, I'll continue I, I have a hard time believing that the money wasn't good enough to oh. like Again, you know, I can I can wax philosophical about artistic decisions, but I would sell out in a heartbeat if I could. Yeah, it uh, it uh. No, exactly. I'd be that pigeon doing the double tap. You're gonna pay me what now? However, uh, I recommend on Hulu right now. There's a a, a docu movie called Becoming Bond that I haven't Ooh, watched yet, okay. but it looks fascinating. Um, it's it's uh, it's about um. I think on her Queen's Secret Service or on Her Majesty's Secret Service, that was it. Um, the uh, the only Bond film out of like the can the, the canonical Bond franchise to yeah. have a one off Bond, Australian actor by the name of George okay. Lazenby. Yep. Um, he was just discovered completely by accident. He be- he went onto this film to become Bond, 
they offered him a 10 movie role like 10 movie like uh, offer and he didn't take it and it's about wow. his, it's it's told by George Lazenby but then reenacted as an actual movie about why he didn't take it and just the craziness that was being bond Huh. And like all the sex, drugs, yeah, and rock and roll. Fascinating. Yeah, fascinating. It's annoying though because like they're taking uh, like I think today might be the last day. Uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Ooh. They're taking uh, they're taking the Bond films off of Hulu, but they're gonna have the movie about that movie. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> Building up demand. Yeah. So uh, I recommend. Uh, I haven't watched it yet, but they said the, the, the trailers look great, and maybe it'll give you a little perspective on what you know what they kind of offered these bond actors like what their lives sure. were like you gotta make them feel like the bond so that they they can uh put it forth on the screen yeah so what anything else you want to talk about with moonraker um i think we've covered most of my thought i mean you know in general obviously the the reaction is wow what an interesting campy silly but at the end of the day fun and movie. and i think the reason it works because at no point do i ever think that this was their intended end product you know like <laughs> even the comedies like this movie is really funny but it was not funny in the way they were hoping they're they're hoping that some of these comedy scenes would just be like some levity amongst all the serious action right nowadays i feel like someone will just try to make they would try to make their own moonraker and i feel like that's why it would fail this movie just feels like it was it just it just happened it was so unintentional yeah and that's why moonraker is amazing and, and <laughs> uh you'll never have another moonraker i don't think and it's such a product of its time because unfortunately movies like this don't aren't made all that often like it's it's hard to find a big budget movie that's just so unintentionally funny um not saying they don't exist i, I just don't see I, I forget the name of the documentary but um there's a documentary out there about the uh, the film Trolls Two. Oh, oh, Are yeah. You, you familiar um, with this? Uh, best worst movie. Yeah. And and that conversation reminds me of that, and because it is like the Trolls Two was ridiculous it, in a very fun way, um, but they interview the director of that film in this documentary several times, and it's so uncomfortable how oblivious he like he doesn't understand that not that it's being made fun of because i really think that all of the fans of trolls 2 in this film appreciate it in the same way that we're appreciating mm-hmm. this like they're not they're not watching it after all these years to make fun of it they're reveling in the campiness and the silliness but the director doesn't get it no like he thinks he that think he's funny. made a a great film and people finally appreciate it for what he intended it to be and um yeah it 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 speaks to that like unintentionally silly or unintentionally funny that being said about troll 2 and i'm gonna say this uh i feel really bad uh for that filmmaker oh absolutely because like there's times where i i'm it's heartbreaking because like he honestly thinks he made a good movie whatever you did not but but fine making a movie is hard yeah so anytime someone finishes one they get a little bit they get some respect out of me even if i don't like the movie that being said you know um his name is claudio fergasi or fergasso sorry uh 
he is a journeyman exploitation filmmaker in Italy. He's made a lot of shit. I couldn't help but feel bad for him later on in the film when like everyone's like essentially shit talking the movie and like he's and he, in the audience. He starts to catch on. He starts to realize that this isn't about them appreciating the film in the way that he does. Yo, and it's like I feel legitimately bad for him because like he's he's hurt. And yeah. like it makes me feel really uncomfortable with just the way that everyone's making fun of him. Because now, now it's easy for them to all make fun of it. But, like, especially because he really thought he was making a good film. Yeah. No, I agree. So, uh, I'm sorry, Lewis Gilbert, if our making fun yeah. of you made you feel bad. Because I legitimately love this movie. And, and at, at the end of the day, like you said, it, it takes a lot to make a film. And if... Like, I I just hope when I put things out there that it's enjoyed by a couple people. Um, that That's all I can really hope for at the level that I'm doing things. And, Same. Uh, there there are people that, even if it's not for the reason that you had hoped, there are people that are enjoying those films. I am a proud owner of a DVD copy of Normal. So I, I know, and your book, Woo! and your book. We own your book, too. Nice. Have, have you had a chance to read Amanda it? Amanda has. She liked it a lot. Okay. Cool. I'm uh, hoping to write my second novel later this year. Hoping. I am. Um, I'm. I'm writing a bunch. Um, we could talk about it off air, but that film I was awesome. going to be doing in June, I I quit. I walked off of you it. Did? Yeah. We'll talk about that off air. Uh, okay. Just, just nothing. Nothing too big. It's just a. Uh, just a disagreement. Uh, okay. I wish them the best, and I hope they make one hell of a movie. It just wasn't right for me in that time. So. Uh, Absolutely. You know. Sometimes, sometimes we can say it's easy, you know, it's easy to sell out. But when it comes <laughs> down to it, sometimes creative ambition means a lot. So, yeah, and and you know, selling out means there's a giant check that you're walking away from, which I'm assuming, like, even if you were gonna get paid, it wasn't like, oh, now I don't have to work for the next five years. No, I wouldn't have had to work for that for those two weeks. That was nice. Right. But you yeah. know, I wish them all the best. But, uh, you know, awesome. you're writing your next novel. I'm trying to write some scripts. I wrote a really weird one about I, a guillotine. <laughs> uh, I, you sent it to me. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'm very eager to, to check that out. And then I'm also writing a movie about a vengeful Lucha Libre ghost. <laughs> because Mexican, awesome. Mexican wrestling and a vengeful ghost <laughs> go hand in hand. Yeah. Why they haven't been put together yet, I'll, I have no idea. Well, there was a movie called WrestleManiac, but he wasn't a vengeful <laughs> spirit. He was just a serial killer, which... Uh... Nice. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know why this became a little bit about us talking about what we're working on, but, you know, what the hell? It, it happens. Yeah, sometimes we have, to, we have to talk a little bit about ourselves. Um, as always, I, I just want to take a moment and say... Uh, we really appreciate anyone that's actually that's listening to this show. Even if you only listen to an episode, uh, we yeah. really appreciate it because me and Nick, we we'd be doing this honestly if no one's listening, just because we like having an excuse to talk <laughs> with you, talk to each other. But I'm not gonna admit there are times where I'm editing the episodes and I'm putting a lot more thought and time into it than I feel like <laughs> I should be. And I thought, does anyone actually does anyone actually care? But then I realized I like doing this this is a lot of yeah. fun for me and it's kind of it kind of like it's the i don't want it's not i want to say it's the best part of my week but it's a better point of my week because it not only does it give me an excuse to sit down and focus on a movie but then it gives me an excuse to talk with you for a little while sometimes yeah. my wife who's like an unofficial third co-host jumps on too and I, especially because our our schedules are so opposite it gives us a 
chance to bond a little bit and you don't get to talk yeah. to her all that often either right um i love both of you guys it's, yeah I, I miss you i've only we don't get enough time no I, i've realized i don't think i've ever met your wife she yeah, wasn't in no, no. she left uh when we started hanging out she'd gone i think taking your daughter home right back to your parents house and uh yeah i'll say something like oh yeah michael just messaged me about this and she'll be like who huh? <laughs> every so often she'll comment like i'll ask i'll ask questions on like your photos and she'll be the one that comments well i think it's actually her <laughs> photos that you're tagged in but still right um uh one day i'll meet her uh, meet corinne um she, she's pretty cool yeah i imagine so she married you she has to be pretty cool right yeah. she ha- she clearly has great taste in men. yeah um but no I, I, the the point uh, you know i don't uh, sometimes it annoys me when oh it, actually no it used to annoy me when podcasts would harp on this but now after having run a podcast i know why you do it you know more than anything just stay active with us guys like on our facebook page it's a little silent i i post a lot and you know just uh tell us what you think give us some comments like rate and subscribe just let us know that you're listening that you appreciate what we do um i think i could talk about it right the the dvd yeah totally um i i recently hooked up with a, a video store in chicago that i i like quite a bit it's mostly a rental place so i couldn't really rent anything but i bought uh, a cool black exploitation western from them so that's pretty dope they're called odd <laughs> obsessions video they're a really neat place they're one of the they're 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 a cinephiles video store because they have things broken down to really obscure genres like you know <laughs> they it doesn't just have horror like they'll have it broken down into subgenres they have you know they got exploitation and sexploitation and they've got like you know they break it down by directors they have monthly themes that are curated and what's cool about the place is it's completely um uh volunteer run which is kind of cool, and nice. uh, I, I recently uh, 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 been talking to the owner Josh, uh, and uh, he listened to one or, one or two of our episodes, liked it, and uh, there's a chance if we can get everything figured out that a couple episodes of the Shameless Picture Show podcast <coughs> picture show will be on <laughs> DVD for rental at Odd Obsessions Video, and if there's a high enough demand, we might start selling them. Or maybe like do a if um you know if we ever do a Patreon page, it's something that me and Nick need to talk about privately if oh, we yeah. feel like it's even worth it. Uh, <laughs> maybe it'll be something that we give away to high enough, you know, right. donators. But there will be a a, a couple DVDs. Different. We're gonna break. We're gonna do it in volumes, and they will be available <laughs> to rent if you are in the Chicago area, or you can hit us up and you know tell us that you want one. Yeah, we'll most likely be able to work something out. Yeah. We know a guy. <laughs> we know a guy. You slip us a couple bucks, you'll get it. A couple saw bucks. <laughs> yeah. Or even just a Starbucks gift card because, you know, we're poor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick is in a fancy studio that he lives in. He has to right. live there. Uh, and In the basement. They don't let me out much. <laughs> I'm a struggling filmmaker who works at Target, so... <laughs> Starbucks gift cards, Jimmy John's, anything. It all helps. Caffeinate us. Feed us. And f- right. and finally, before we wrap up, if any of you listening know of anyone who is interested in sponsoring a podcast, we don't ask for much. We can talk about it off air. Uh, or even if you want to do it yourself. Like, we will gladly pimp your stuff. Yeah. You know, if you got a short film that you want us to talk about that has some has some dates coming up that like at film festivals, send us a message. We can work something out. 
you know, we we're for the people. Wu Tang's for the children, and the Shameless <laughs> Picture Show podcast is for the people. But when it comes to the children, Wu Tang is for the children. We teach the children. You know what I mean? Puffy is good, but Wu Tang is the best. Okay? I want y'all to know that this is ODB, and I love you all. Peace. Yep. Particularly the filmmakers, but not exclusively. <laughs> yeah. If you're an author, uh, or just anything. We, we, we love art. We love stories. And uh, I, it, as to independent creators, we know the struggle. Like, you know, we know shilling things out of your trunk for whatever the person that's interested has in their wallet. Like... Uh, and and if we can help get the word out there about your thing, um, and as you've heard from from our feedback too on these other movies, like we're not out there to to trash somebody else's art for the sake of being snobs. Like we, at the end of the day, we appreciate the work that goes into something, and even if something has flaws, hopefully, you know we can we can see the beauty and the intention in it and. No, exactly, and, and like sell it on those merits. Uh, this is, and I've said this before. This is why I wouldn't be a good critic. Is because <laughs> I'm too easy. I'm too nice sometimes. I feel like, or maybe not even that. I just like, I'm not an overly critical person. There'll be times where something doesn't work for me. It's very rare that I hate anything. Yeah. I'm not not. It's not to say I like everything. It's just you know, some things work for me, some things don't. Uh, but I I I'm a firm believer that especially as a independent filmmaker myself. Um, it's not my place to say to trash any other people's works. Yeah, I'll poke fun of something, but like in the end, it comes from a place of respect. Yeah, especially Moonraker. Moonraker. He's the moon you love to touch, <laughs> but you mustn't touch. His name sounds good in your ear. And if you hear it, you mustn't fear. Because his name can be said by anyone. Sorry, I can't sing. You, you nailed it. I mainly kept that going because of your reaction. If you wouldn't have been smiling, I would have just stopped after Moonraker. No, it was- it was beautiful. Oh, and I'm going to listen to that when I'm editing this and just cringe. My my, my spine will become glass. Do not cut that out. I will not because you've asked me to. <laughs> yes. All right, Nick, is there anything else? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I'm, I'm guessing you haven't gotten any uh, fun new vinegar syndrome packages? Not yet. Um, I know they've been busy. They've been at uh, pretty much conventions every weekend, and they just had their halfway to Black Friday sale. <laughs> nice. uh, so I picked, I bought some. I bought oh, some. Awesome. What'd you buy? Um, hold up one second. I got to pull up the titles because uh, they're ones I have never seen. Um, they're on your shame list. Yeah. Uh, one of them is called Hellbent. Okay. Um, hold on, let me pull up the description because I I, I read uh, this description and I was like, yes, I need that. <laughs> um, oh, the website's down. Uh, well, no, we'll no, 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 no. Hit them next time. I'm I'm dedicated now to telling you what this movie's about. Committed. 
First one is called Hellbent. Uh, director Richard Casey's second feature film is an ambitious, at times dreamlike, Faustian tale set in the rough underworld of LA's heavy metal and punk music scene. Lemmy is the front man for an unsuccessful band who's willing to do anything to make it. After a chance meeting with Mr. Tanas, a music promoter, Lemmy is offered the deal of a lifetime, fame for nothing more than his soul. The young singer doesn't believe in such things and accepts the offer, but quickly learns that this sleazy promoter has more in store for Lemmy than just the stardom he's dreamed of. Directed and photographed like a surreal documentary co-starring David Marciano and Darcy Nichols, Hellbent is a blood-soaked document of late 80s Los Angeles as seen through the eyes of outcasts and derelicts. Vanegar Syndrome proudly presents this forgotten gem, gem of independent horror, newly restored from its original 35mm negative, and on Blu-ray and DVD for the first time ever. Nice. That, that does sound really good. And then I also bought, uh, because I think I've mentioned before how I am a, uh, I'm a sucker for uh, slasher films. A slasher sucker? Slasher sucker. Um, let's go with that. So I bought a movie <laughs> called Madman, which is one that was lost for many years. And this one is about, uh, years ago, Madman Mars violently murdered his family only to escape into the woods before his execution could be completed. Legend has it that anyone calls his name above a whisper can summon him back to continue his bloody rampage. But teenage, nice. but teenage Richie, away at camp, doesn't believe the old legend and calls his name. As night falls, strange, th- strange things start happening at camp, and soon Madman Mars is back, axe in hand, to finish the killing spree he started decades ago. One of the true classics of 80s slasher cinema, Vinegar Syndrome proudly presents Madman on Blu-ray for the first time, restored in 4K from the Cameron Negative. Nice. So I got those. Cool. And uh, then I also bought a Vincent Price collection because it's going on a print soon. Oh. And mine as well. I bought an odd uh, Vincent Price DVD collection a while ago from, I, I believe, a grocery store, which had this great tin that you push a button and it'd like scream at you. Except on, <laughs> like, a couple of the films, the audio track and the video track weren't synced up. Yeah. But th- this Vincent Price collection though is fantastic because like it's it's the one I really wanted because uh, Scream Factory, which is another company I absolutely adore for what they're doing for horror movies, uh, have done three volumes of Vincent Price collection, and I realistically would like them all because I, he's my favorite actor. Yeah. Though the first collection is like two hundred dollars now because it's out of print, so yeah. mm, that one might not happen. Brutal. But this has uh, a couple of my favorite Vincent Price films. This has the comedy of terrors which is with uh which is a uh, a comedy film of vincent price playing a drunkard which is amazing and then nice. to have on blu-ray uh the last man on earth dr fives rises again return to fly and house on haunted hill oh, on awesome. blu-ray because like i've only seen house on haunted hill in very terrible looking versions right so that's what i bought that's what cool. that's what's on my doorstep. Awesome. Hopefully, it'll be coming today. Um, yeah, right. I guess maybe so. Every so often, it wouldn't be a bad thing to talk about a little bit, like just little cool things about our lives, like what we bought. Yeah. And so, like I said, I'll, I'll talk to uh, Vinegar Syndrome and see if they want me to do episodes on those two discs that I, I bought, and just 
you know, if not, I'll watch them on my own and tell you about them. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but that's been another episode of the Shameless Picture Show podcast. Uh, what, my brain has gone gooey. I don't. This is yes. this is where but, we say but, goodbye, Nick. Right. Take take two. All right, I'm good. This has been I'm another on. episode. Right. This has been another episode of the Shameless Picture Show podcast. Thanks for listening. That was it. Sounded official. Yeah, right? like, we're eventually gonna have to away. come up with a better way to end this show. But a sign off. Um, no, uh, it was a fun watch. Uh, so next time we'll do Doctor Horrible. Yep. Uh, and then at some point we have to do Taxi Driver because I'm sitting on a disc of it and I've never seen it. So. All right. So we have two lined up then. Doctor Horrible, then Taxi Driver. Have you Driver. seen Taxi Driver? I have. Well, then we need to pick something off of your shame list eventually because those are both off of mine. You're right. So Doctor Horrible, something off yours, and Taxi something Driver. Something else, then Taxi Driver. Sounds good. Oh, I also did. I know this is a movie I think we both haven't seen. I did buy Apocalypse Now. I have not seen that. Me neither. But that would be like four in a row for you. Like, I feel like we gotta do throw something into the mix that you have context for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm just like, I buy things and I get excited and I'm like, oh, wait, this is a planned episode. Damn it. Yeah. We have like 200 films on our shameless. I'm sure we can find something. We'll we'll take them away. We'll take them down. All right. All right. Well, everyone have for the a good third one. time. This has been the Shameless Picture Show podcast. Uh, have a wonderful day, everybody, and we will see you two weeks from now. Well, they'll see us. We'll just whatever. Goodbye. Bye.